You are listening to the Farm to Fork podcast, the show that was created for food manufacturers. Each week, we'll investigate into the food industry and dive a little bit deeper with the latest leaders in technology and innovation. Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Andy. And we're from Carlisle Technology. Today's guest is Bruce Bergner from Mountain Munchies. Bruce is an entrepreneur that's been paving his own path in the food industry. I'm excited about this episode as we dig into how Mountain Munchies got started and we hear Bruce's story on the development of their key product, Energies. Bruce, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, the company that you've started? Well, yeah, of course. Just like to say thanks for inviting me on to talk about my business here. Started my company in 2017, and we use advanced vacuum dehydration to be able to dehydrate dairy products. So it's been quite the journey, that's for sure. Starting this business, didn't actually wanted to start out selling to humans at first because our technology was so new, but we've come a long way since 2017. Let me tell you that. Well, that's great. How did you, or like, kind of what attracted you to the food industry? Well, I've actually been in the food industry for about 16, 17 years in the food and beverage aspect of it, running uh, bars and, and nightclubs and stuff like that. And so I've actually always had a desire to give people good food all the time. So we had the opportunity to actually start a, a business here to make food that was safe for human consumption. But uh, it's been quite the process to be able to do that because when you're doing using a new technology, there's really no you know rules and regulations in place for such uh, technology. So you have to you know, start at the beginning and, and kind of work your way through all the problems that are associated with it. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, I had the chance to speak with you a little bit before as we were kind of getting ready for the podcast and everything. And I got to hear about how you kind of just didn't, you know, you hit hurdles, you had a bunch of roadblocks, but you just kind of powered your way through. And so I'm excited as we kind of unfold your story a little bit here and go through it on the podcast. Yeah. So let's start right at the beginning. So dehydrated cheese. Is it a common snack? And, you know, how did you really get into the idea of developing this out? And what, what kind of sparked that innovation for you? Well, my uh, father is actually one of the patent holders on the uh, dehydration technology. And I, I was going over to his workplace, you know, a bunch of years ago just to see what he was doing. And, and we use a technology called New Wave technology. And I was seeing all the crazy things they were building for industrial uh, food dehydration. And uh, saw on their big warehouse, their, their prototype machine that they started with maybe probably 10 years ago. It was just sitting there collecting dust. So I was like, well, can I use that? And we can just start making some pet food, like dog treats, like, you know, that are, you know, 100% just good food for dogs. And, you know, that's the thing. It's, you know, the pet food industry isn't regulated. So we were like, well, let's try this out with the uh, mozzarella, dried mozzarella bites. And uh, so we just started figuring out, you know, this is probably the best thing to do because there's nothing else really on the market at that time. And we said, well, let's just go, you know, balls to the wall, I guess, if you say. But uh, probably cut that one out there, guys. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, we decided to, you know, go with the cheese because there wasn't any competition out there at the time. And, you know, I had some experience drawing you know spelt grain from breweries because we were trying to use a product that you know typically would be waste and create a product out of it but uh, you know even with spent grain it just took too much effort too much time to dry 
And then we did apples because I'm in kind of an apple area in uh, in British Columbia here. And that was the same thing. Like it's a lot of weight to be able to transport. And then you have to do all, you know, the cleaning of the product and, and all the prep just to be able to drive the apples. And well, that was quite the experience because I had vats and vats of apples over here trying it out. And then we just decided, you know, how about we just try that cheese again? Because, you know, it was a lot easier to process. It was quicker and it puffed up really nicely. And we uh, started going down there. It's, you know, my father and I actually started doing the R&D on this because the machine wasn't set up for dairy products at that time. So uh, there was a lot of hurdles that we had to be able to do to, you know, stop the cheese from sticking and uh, and figuring out a, a new process to be able to dry a dairy product uh, safely too. So uh, we figured that out and I got some bags going and I was like, well, let's hit the road and start selling these to pet stores, you know, like who wouldn't want to give their pet actual human grade food to eat? Great idea. So I started going to all these pet stores around British Columbia. And man, I, let me tell you, have you ever gone to a pet store and have you seen any of the, you know, the shelves that have you know, multiples and multiples of treats. Well, yeah, that I was kind of uh, up against all that. So it was quite daunting, especially uh, going to uh, all these little mom and pop pet food. And, they, you know, cheese is uh, expensive and it was a premium product. So it was pretty tough to get people on board. But, you know, BC's quite uh, inclusive. So they're trying me out. I'll never forget this one day I went to one and there was a kid, you know, probably in his 18, 17, 18, uh, long hair, you know, the typical kid just working at a pet store. And he goes, man, this stuff is so good. He's like, if you made this out of cheddar, I'll be eating this more than anything else. And I'm like, cheddar, huh? So, uh, so I, I go back and I'm like, well, we never did cheddar. You know, it's got a little bit more fat than uh, than mozzarella. And we started putting it in and I'm, lo and behold, I was like, this, especially when it first comes out of this dehydrator, it is the tastiest thing in the world. It is so good. There was nothing else on the market that kind of tasted like it. We're like, we've got a winner here. And holy moly. So that's where I had to, do, you know, do the decision. I'm like, well, forget the pet food industry. Honestly, I only did that for about three or four months on the road. I'm like, this is insane. And I'm like, I think there's a little bit more people in the world than dogs. So I'm like, well, start selling to people. And that started the journey of dealing with food with human consumption. How exciting. Holy moly. It was a jump. How'd you even figure out how to start doing that? How'd you even figure out how to start getting the approval process started? Well, it's just like anything, guys. Like, you don't realize what you're getting yourself into until you start doing it. And yes, so we had to get the process approved by the Canadian government because the technology has never been used for dairy products. So we had to get it approved by the Canadian government to say it's, you know, yes, it is a good product for people to eat. And that took about eight months, eight, nine months to get that approved. I, oh man, did I ever have to read government websites? And I'm sure, you know, people that are listening, if you've ever had to deal anything with the government, uh, there are stacks and stacks of information that you have to read, but it doesn't really state what you have to do. <laughs> so so I did find out that, yes, because the process was, you know, for human consumption, there was a whole rigmarole that you had to go through. So I had to get, you know, an outside audit done on my process, experiments done, just to say, you know, yes, it's uh, below a certain water activity. And then once we got that finalized, it took some time, I'll tell you, because, you know, you're dealing with the technology that's never been done. So you have to prove that it's safe, you know, and so it's, it's quite difficult when nothing's been done before to be able to start this. So uh, 
So yeah, that was that was a bit of a learning curve. But once we got the process done, and yes, you know, in a certain time we can take out the water from the cheese so there's no bacterial growth whatsoever and and then you can have it shelf stable at that point because there's no water in it so our water activity on our products are you know 0.25 which is you know virtually no water in it whatsoever that's what makes it a nice crispy crunchy snack and and you know i haven't even stated this in the podcast yet that inner cheese is just 100 percent dehydrated cheese so it, it's a crunchy cheesy so i always go you know my little pitches on trade shows and stuff i go well have you ever had a cheetos and people most people are saying yeah i've had a Cheetos." so i'm like well do you have you ever looked at the ingredients? Do you know what's inside of Cheetos? And most people look at me and are like, no, I have no idea what's in a Cheetos. And I'm like, well, you know what's in mine? And they're like, yeah, well, mine, it just says cheddar. That's it. It is food. <laughs> it's, it doesn't have anything else in it, you know? And it's a crunchy cheese. So I say, you know, part of my marketing, it's the ultimate cheesy because you know what it is. It's, a, it's just cheese. So I had to say that for the podcast because now people know what I'm actually talking about here. So there's other things on the market, but nothing like ours with the texture. It's very airy and dry it's like a the ultimate cheese you just think of it like that so once i got that approved i was like yay i get to sell my cheese products in british columbia to people so i started doing like farmers markets uh, like you typically would and people were loving it it was a great price point they've never had anything like this before and uh, you know i started with new packaging and stuff like that and uh and then I was like, wow, there's, you know, people are enjoying this. So I started going to all the grocery stores and talking to the managers and, and they're bringing it in. And I was like, wow, this is great. I'm, I'm actually selling, you know, 24 bags to a grocery store. Like how exciting. Were you just going door to door and kind of showing them the product or? That's right. I went to every single grocery store and farmer's market in British Columbia. like every single one. And oh man. And it was, it was tough because you could go into one place and, well, you finally get to talk to the manager. He's busy or she is. And I say, hey, I do my pits. They're like, wow, that sounds great. I'll take a case. Not a problem. Send them the case. Then the next week, I call and they're like, well, they don't work here anymore or they got transferred and they don't know what the heck I'm talking about. So you got to do that whole spiel again. And because I'm not now in front of them, they don't want to even talk to me. That was a huge roadblock. I didn't realize how the grocery business kind of worked. So that was a good learning experience just to be able to go door to door, see where my products would, uh, you know, get exposure and stuff like that. And there were some places that were a little bit more happy to help out, just like a, you know, bum like me coming off the street saying, hey, you want to try my cheese? put yourself in the manager's eyes like i'm surprised they actually ordered some but uh, but <laughs> that that was a bit, a bit of a learning curve for me is uh, is how the the wholesale grocery industry works and you know as i started calling uh, different you know save on foods or safeways and and they said well you have to get a distributor you know i was like well i don't even know how to do all this so I have to start asking people, well, where do I get a distributor? So they would recommend ones that were in BC. And so I'd call them up and they wouldn't even talk to me because I was so brand new. I, you know, I thought I had this product dialed and uh, <laughs> I was so wrong because you need to know, you know, you have to have all your regulations in place. You know, GS1, which is your barcodes, that has to be all in place. There, there's a lot of check marks you got to do, which, you know, me coming into it, I thought I knew it, but I definitely did not. So luckily, I, I was able to talk to a broker. There was a company in Nelson here that did uh, dressings. 
like super good dressings. And uh, I started talking to him. I'm like, well, how did you get, you know, how did you start the process? And he's like, well, I got this broker. And, you know, honestly, at the time, I didn't even know what a broker did for the food industry. And I said, well, could, could I give him a call? And he, he gave me his number and, uh, you know, I just called him out of the blue. And uh, he was quite intrigued on my products because nothing was really out there of like dried cheese before. And uh, and he knew that I wasn't ready yet to do the wholesale grocery industry. And But the good thing with him, he actually kind of took me under my wing or his wing. And uh, and and he, t- he told me the steps to be able to, you know, get get your products onto a grocery store. And there was like, there's lots of steps. You got to be able, you have to know your tie high for a, a pallet. So that's like how many cases are on a pallet, you know, how tall the pallet is, what your box size is. Like I was trying to sell these in 24 cases, 24 bags per case. And he's like, no, you don't want to do that. You need a six pack case because grocery stores take free fills and there's, you know, there's discounts per quarter and it's a lot easier to give away a six pack than it is a 24 pack. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. But this guy never, like he never charged me for any of this. He, he got me set up and to do all the steps, get that in place, which, you know, it took months to be able to do this. And then I could start, you know, going into grocery stores and he could start presenting to uh, the bigger retailers. So, so that took a, a good year to be able to do that. And so it was great. I hired him after the fact. So that's probably why he took me under his wing. But, uh, and then he starts getting me into uh, grocery stores in NBC. And then in uh, 2019, I got uh, nominated and I was a finalist in the small business of BC's most innovative company. And uh, I look back now and, you know, 2019, a lot of things have happened. I'm sure you guys understand that. I was like, I didn't even have a company back then. And I was like, how did I become a finalist for the most innovative company when it was just, you know, I was just a beginner. But because I had that exposure, uh, the doors started opening up like crazy. So the the BC government, uh, I was a buy BC product at that time. And uh, they they sent me to an international trade show in Toronto called Sial. And that was the first kind of introduction to trade shows for our food product. And, and man, it, it was, it was probably the most exciting time because just the excitement from people seeing a product that they've never seen before, never, and like tasted it. And they were just shocked on what it was and the amount of uh, just positive feedback we got from that show just opened up my eyes that, wow, we actually have something here. And let's get this going. And it, w- it was a really like a breakthrough trade show for us. And and then the door started just opening up after that. And then COVID happened. <laughs> what a time to be a food industry in the, you know? Well, luckily I, I was, you know, I, I was, I had to work through it because, you know, food was a, a essential service. And I started growing my business during COVID. I don't know how the heck I did it, but I did it. And we started to push off from that. It's been a, an amazing kind of journey when you think about it. But uh, and, and I forgot. OK, guys, just let's go back a bit here. Uh, so to be able to sell uh, dairy products in Canada, you can't like say you, you get certified to sell your products in British Columbia. Yes, I get to sell food to people in BC. Let's go to say Calgary and because and, there's more people there. Let's sell to Calgary. They're like, well, you can't sell to Calgary. And I'm like, well, why not? I'm, I'm, I'm Canadian. And they're like, no, you're a dairy product. You need to be federally inspected. So I had to turn my, my facility into a federally inspected dairy. Even though I don't make the cheese here, I buy the cheese. I have no cow. Like I, the last time I checked, there was no cows walking around here. Well, I have to become a friendly inspected dairy to sell within my own country. I couldn't believe it. But so that took a good 
you know, seven, eight months, like the, the amount of paperwork to be able to do in the dairy industry is astronomical. That was all me just reading and reading. Like he's never dealt with dairy. Like they kind of stayed away from, you know, refrigerated goods because it's a, it's, it's a tough sell in the grocery industry because there's only a certain amount of shells in the refrigerated section. So uh, he was just kind of blown away what I had to do to be able to be federally inspected. And that was just me just reading constantly. And I, and I give kudos to the inspection agencies. They helped me along uh, as much as they could especially being a newbie, you know, the amount of the questions you had, I had asked and get guidance through was, uh, was pretty crazy. But, you know, eventually, just like anything, you see a roadblock and you, you step over it and, you, and then you go up again. It's been a roller coaster. Uh, so then I, I finally got, uh, you know, a dairy. So I'm a federally inspected dairy. I can sell anywhere in the world now long as you know i I abide by who whatever countries uh, regulations they have coming in which is a whole other story guys that's another podcast but (laughs) from going from that so you just all these little roadblocks that you have to do it it makes it quite difficult for a, a beginner um food processor to actually compete in the big wholesale industry of the food business uh and and you don't know this until you start doing it yourself. And uh, so so any of your listeners out there, just keep in mind, if you are going the wholesale route and you want to sell into grocery stores, it, it'll take you a long time. <laughs> and it doesn't happen overnight. Like by the time, like I got listed in Whole Foods and they said, yes, we want to carry your products. This was uh, last April. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. Like, great. Thank you for supporting small businesses. And they're like, oh yeah. And it should be on the shelf in next February. I'm like, wow. So, you know, you got to, what do you do? You got to wait a year before it's actually selling on on the shelves. And then you can't do your posts on Instagram or like uh, Facebook to say, yes, I'm in, you know, a bigger retailer. Like you got to wait another year. So for for me coming from the food industry where, where you want something like now, it's like, I need a beer now. The food industry is more like, you want a beer now? Awesome. You can have it two years from now. <laughs> and you got to figure, you got to, you know, you got to take that into consideration when you are wanting to do like take that next step to go into wholesale grocery business, I guess. So uh, enough of me talking. What's the next question here? <laughs> well, let's go back just a little bit. Can you tell us, it's not as much in the outline, but can you tell us about your operation? Like how many people do you guys employ? Is it just like a family owned business or is it, you know, do you kind of reach out and hire people from the community? Like tell us a little bit more about your actual operation. Yeah, so uh, I started, it's just, it's, it was me at the beginning, just doing all the prep and everything. I didn't have enough sales to be able to hire uh, somebody. But in 2019, I did hire my first employee and that was super successful and it, it was going really well. And then COVID hit and our area was too small to keep, like have two people in it at the same time. Like, you know, our, the restrictions of being, you know, six feet apart in my facility at the time, you, you couldn't be beside somebody like that far apart so i had to let her go unfortunately and oh that was a eye opener too i had a big order from a huge company uh, a national company and and covid hit and i had the pallet ready to go and they took one pallet and they actually said no to all the other pallets uh, because of covid and so i had all this product with their own stickers on it that i couldn't resale because they backed out and it was part of the fine print in the contract, of course. Lo and behold, I had a bunch of product that I had to start giving away just for... Yeah, it turns into giveaways. <laughs> well, 
it was. It, you know, it was a, an expensive one. But honestly, when you think about it, if that was the worst thing that came out of it for me, a COVID, I guess I got out of it pretty easy. But at the time, it was, you know, it was a big crunch to the number there. But so with the the facility, so I had to layer off. But then we had all the Serb uh, stuff, and uh, and there was some grants being given out, and they're like, uh, and the government was saying you need to automate. Uh, you know, you know, the food industry or a manufacturing industries need to automate because you know nobody was coming back to work and everything. So I took out the grant that they had, and and I bought bought a like a bagging machine, and man, that was the best pit investment I ever did. Holy moly, it's fully automated. I put in my product and it weighs it, it it seals, it date coats, it's the it's the best thing ever. Yeah, so yeah, you know, you did have to automate and I did. So I got about four people, you know, off and on. I, I employ local people around here. It's hard in the uh you know, in a smaller community of Nelson BC is only ten thousand people. Uh, so the jobs are quite limited. So it's nice to be able to help the community with, you know, entry level positions for younger people. And uh, and it, it's just nice to be able to help a community and, and be able to grow a business, especially in such a small community. It's been super successful. And the amount of just positive help from the local community has just been amazing. They're the ones that sell, like, it's been a word of mouth with my products because you've never had it. Like, so it just takes one person and say, hey, this is awesome. And then, you know, 10 other people will know that it's awesome. And honestly, that's how people have figured out energies. They, you know, one person's had it and they're like, you got to really try this. And that's what I was going to ask you next is like, how do you, as such a small company, how do you market energies? Like, how do you get out there and have the resources to invest in? Like you said, you went to the Seattle show in Toronto or, or whatever. I don't know how you guys market your product, but how do you do it on just such a small crew? That's all me, man. So I just, just being honest, really, like my, the Instagram thing really pushed my brand because at the time, you know, keto was a really big diet trend and mine was, you know, zero carbs, high protein, got lots of calories. Uh, so it's, you know, easy, easy, healthy snack that's uh, good for diabetics too. So once people started finding that out on Instagram, I just started getting a lot of good following and, and like just downright good people just promoting my product because they knew one, I'm, you know, I was a small business just trying to compete in the, in the grocery industry in Canada. They just wanted to see me succeed. And just to have that base of people kind of pushing you and helping you uh, along the way is, is kind of what actually makes my marketing. It is just, you know, I have influencers that, you know, most people would pay for these influencers. I'm, I'm, I can't afford that, unfortunately, but they really like my cheese. So they just, you know, they promote my cheese, which is really great. I can't be in a better position, really. And, uh, you know, they have people take them hiking. And so, you know, I have these just phenomenal photographs from everybody eating energies anywhere in the world. And, and, and that's what pushes my marketing. So, like, I, you know, there is no third-party marketing unless it's, like, giveaways with big companies. You know, so I've collaborated with, you know, Hydro Flask and Jeep Canada Parks Canada, Leatherman Canada, so all these big brands, being able to collaborate with them and do giveaways is how I get my brand out there because now people know what Energies is. That and that's the hardest part is trying to teach people, you know, here's a product that you've never had before. If I go to a, a market or or a trade show, I have my little booth and I'm sure you guys saw that too. And it looks like little popcorn uh, on the on, that I'm, I'm sampling. And everybody, they're like, oh, what's this, popcorn? And I'm like, no, it's not popcorn, cheese. And, and most people are like, 
cheese this doesn't look like cheese because it looks like popcorn i guess and uh and i'm like try it if once you try it you're gonna bring some people back and lo and behold every single time i'm telling you they have it and they bring somebody back and say you gotta try this stuff so uh it's really neat man it's nice to have well it, like i'm blessed to have a product that that nobody really has you know there's other things on the market but it, there's nothing like energy you know it's the ultimate cheesy guys <laughs> Do you have any sort of new industry events, trade shows, or, you know, some sort of a show that you're going to be showcasing up in the future or anytime soon? There's that gluten-free show in Calgary coming up in September. And I think I do that in January in Vancouver as well, because, you know, obviously there's a lot of celiac people out there. It's hard to find a good snack that that's good. And that's easy for them on their diets too. So we're doing that one. I'm sure we'll get a lot of new customers from that. And then uh, trade shows, we stick to you know Canada mostly right now. So CHFA East and uh, CHFA West. The East one is uh, in September 23rd in Toronto. So I'll probably be showing up to that too and just keep my sales growth in Ontario. Uh, because I've, pr- I've pretty much been every, I'm in everywhere in on the West Coast now. And now the, you know, the next coming year is going to be mostly Ontario market. And then I've had a lot of interest from uh, exporting too, uh, which has been fabulous. Uh, a lot of good contacts. There's a program out here called Export Navigator. And uh, it's a free government initiative to actually help you export, you know, interprovincially as well as internationally. And having that is huge because the amount of contacts I get from my advisor to try and sell my products in uh, different countries is, is quite amazing. You want to tell us maybe a little bit about the markets that you're trying to break into internationally or, or different places you see as kind of new opportunities for you? Yeah. So, you know, obviously we have the, the big brother down below us there, the U.S. It, it's a different market. Uh, I think you have to be really prepared for that. Uh, and I, and honestly, I think you have to actually expand into that market specifically with its own facility, which we're looking into. And then we can just focus directly on the U.S. market. But for Canada, exporting, lots of interest in Japan, Taiwan, Korea, and, and Dubai, too, uh, because it's hard to have cheese in a hot place, you know. But you can have mine in a hot place because it doesn't melt. It, uh, there's no water Lots of awesome opportunities there. But again, that's, you know, that's a whole other business, exporting, just to know all the regulations for that and all their, uh, the label requirements for individual countries. That one's been quite daunting uh, to be able to export it. But once you get that relationship with certain you know, importer-exporters, the sky's the limit because then they're ordering you know, 40-foot containers instead of a couple of pallets. So, uh, so, so to be able to do that and to have the support from you know, uh, federal and, and regional governments to be able to do that cost-effectively is exponential. Like, we're very lucky in Canada to have some of these government agencies to be able to help us out Whereas I know, you know, down in the States, they definitely don't have as many resources for, for entrepreneurs to break out in, especially in the food industry too. So, uh, so lots of interest uh, in the next coming years here. And uh, hopefully I'll, I'll have energies in, in Japan shortly. So that, that would be super cool. Like how, how cool would it be to have your product in another country? Like I think that's just the, the neatest thing ever. Right. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing uh, the journey so far. So, uh, so yeah, just and heck, if I can write off a trip to Japan, that that's been a bucket list of my three years. So. <laughs>
So yeah, Bruce, you were mentioning about, you know, the obvious roadblocks, issues and concerns that can come, you know, for a newbie getting into the industry around, you know, working with government agencies, the different regulations and certifications, that kind of a thing. So what is some advice that you could provide to, you know, first time food processors when dealing with these agencies? And, you know, what are some strategies they can use to circumvent some potential issues? Well, that's a great question. It depends on the product tell you the truth if you know if you're working with say an organic product you would want to be organically certified at that point but you know there are a lot of certificate like you could become you know gluten-free certified you can be there's so many you can be halal you can uh, HACCP certified and HACCP is is a great one that's uh for international mostly but a lot of the big retailers want to know that you're using the same regulations that that, you know, for traceability issues. So if there happens to be recalls on your products, you you have that system set up in place to be able to deal with, uh, say, a potential downfall such as that. And you need that for, uh, you know, to make your product viable in the industry too. But but like if you're, if you're actually, it's a tough one. Like I would love to be gluten-free certified. Uh, like I am gluten-free, but I'm not certified, but it costs a lot of money to be able to, you know, do these third-party audits. You have to have, you know, people to come out to your facility. I live in the middle of nowhere. You know, flying somebody out from Toronto or Vancouver, having them stay for two or three days while you're doing the audit, plus paying the registration fees, you're looking about 10 grand. And some of these, you need to be certified with an outside audit every year. So you're spending 10 grand per certification every year to be able to do that. You got to really think about, you know, is that really a necessity for your specific product? So, uh, you know, if you're thinking about that, going that route, just make sure that you've done your marketing. And if you think that that is the best situation for you to go, by all means, go get certified. But don't do it all at once because you're going to be spending a crap load of money on just a little a label on there that says that it's certified. You got to really know where you want to go with that and just do your research to see if that's a viable option at that time as you are growing. Because as I said, the, the wholesale industry is a whole other beast compared to say, you know, selling it farmer's market or something like that. So, uh, and it's a lot of work to be able to do all the paperwork and, and still run your business too. So, so, it, you know, for the newbies out there, just be aware that some of these certification processes, you know, they cost quite a bit of money and a, quite a bit of money to upkeep. And, you know, if you don't want to do it one year and all your bags have your certification on it, you can't ha- use those bags again. So, you know, these are little things that you, you forget about as you're going through. But uh, you got to really know where you want to be in the market to be able to answer questions like that, too. So hope that helps. Yeah, I think that's great. Are there any other kind of hidden costs that processors should be aware of, you know, as they're kind of getting started or they're trying to grow their business and expand? Like, I mean, you've already mentioned things that I would never would have even thought of before, but are there anything else that you can kind of some advice you can give that around costs that that will help them? Yeah. So in the wholesale industry, especially the grocery business, depending on the retailer and they're all different, they need, you know, they require free fills. So Say they do a listing and they say, yes, we want your products, but you got to give us, you know, a pallet of your food for free just to kind of help promote it. But that costs you money. And you don't realize that a lot of these retailers, you know, they require that there's a promo schedule for it. There's a discount schedule per quarters that you you need to abide by. There's buybacks. You know, these are all things that you don't really know when you're getting into the wholesale industry. 
that, you know, it adds up. So when you're taking your product, make sure you're priced correctly too, because if you have a broker and you have a distributor and you have, say, the retailer, that's three people that need to take their cut to be able to, to you know, make a profit off of it. And then you also have to do, you know, you've got to make a profit too. But in the grocery business, it's all about quantity. You'll end up selling a lot for a very discounted price. But because you're selling a lot of it, you'll do decently. But you got to be able to price your product in that. So just make sure that there's a lot of hidden costs. So it's tough for a small business because some of these retailers, you know, I'm sure some of your listeners know that there's, you know, listing fees that just to have your product on the shelf, you have to pay them just to say, yes, we'll take it. And who knows, they might only have your product on the shelf for a year, but then you're still paying them quite a bit of money. And each one's different. You know, some could be a thousand dollars per SKU. Some could be up to five to $10,000 per SKU. So if I have four SKUs at the moment, you know, that's $40,000 that I'm paying to a retailer just so that I have the chance to put my products on the shelf. So these are things that you don't really know until you're down that route. But that being said, when you're at that level, you kind of know that this is coming. And, and if you get, say, a big retailer that has you know, 2,000 stores under their banner, just having that one major retailer, you're doing pretty good. So you, know, you have to kind of weigh pros and cons. You know, is, it, is it a good, good time to be able to put that listing fee in and bite that bullet just to get your product out? You, know, you got to do those hard questions and see what's going to work for you. And sometimes you don't know, right? Then that's why you need to talk to other people in the industry to get into their heads to see, you know, what they did wrong or, you know, that's the easiest way of learning is learning from other people's mistakes and, and having that core people, especially in the food industry, there's, you know, there's uh, the food and beverage uh, foundation and that you see here, you know, throughout Canada that you can join and, and they'll help you with these roadblocks too and get you in front of people that are, you know, doing the same thing. So they understand your, uh, you know, trials and tribulations and see how far it goes with your product if you are going to go that route. And as I said before, you know, you really need to know, do you want to go into the wholesale market? Like that, that's a big jump from going from, you know, farmer's markets and selling online. And Amazon's a whole other kit and caboodle that you have to worry about, especially in the food industry. And that's a whole other podcast too, man. And there's tons of them out there. I'm sure your listeners can read, like, I, I don't know how many podcasts I listen about Amazon. Holy moly. There's a lot out there, but, but yeah, you learn a lot and there's a lot that you got to do it to get your products out there. And the more people see your product, the better it is. So, you know, hopefully down the road, you'll start seeing energies, you know, more and more in, in the shelves. So. Absolutely. No, I, I think I can say from, you know, Andy, I and the rest of the viewers perspective that this has been an amazing episode. I think it's been really awesome to hear how you've been pounding the pavement from starting off with your dad, with the technology, you know, going from store to store, really just not taking no for an answer and moving all the way through until the point you are right now. It's a very uh, commendable story and a, a true, you know, what makes an amazing Canadian entrepreneur. So it's been a very inspiring and invigorating story. As we start to wrap up the episode here, Bruce, why is bringing real food to people so important and reducing highly processed products important to Mountain Munchies? Why aren't we eating food like natural food? That should be the question. How did we get to a society of eating highly processed food? It's easy. Yeah, but is it good for you? No. Like, you know, yes, it does cost a little bit more money. But what's your health worth to you? There's so many studies out there. You are what you eat. So I'm just taking cheese and I'm taking out the water. 
that's it. So it's, you know, it's, it's as healthy as you can possibly be. And, and I think the good thing is people are starting to realize that, you know, 10 years ago, most people were saying it was a fad or something, but now it's, you know, it is in people's mind to eat healthy. Like we know it's that we should be eating healthy. So stay away from those highly processed foods. Uh, we know what it does to our kids. You know, we've seen, I grew up in the, you know, in the time of, highly processed foods and, and, you know, plastic cheese and all this stuff. And, you know, of course there's times that you want to eat some of these things. Yeah. I'm not saying I'll cut it out a hundred percent. Like you, you can have some of these things, but don't make it your, you know, everyday meal. I had that when I was growing up, it wasn't good. <laughs> like if you're going to have mashed potatoes, make mashed potatoes. Don't just add water. Like, what is that? What is that? <laughs> but, uh, I really like the way you kind of explained your product with uh, Cheetos versus, you know, how the yours is actual cheese is just dehydrated. And I think that's a great way of showing that, you know, we can make these products, we can have these products in their natural form. It doesn't have to have all the different chemicals and things that go into them just to make them what they are. So I think that's great. Where can our audience find out more about Mountain Munchies and Energies? Like where can they get connected or where can they find your products or yeah, how can they buy it? The best thing is follow me on Instagram at energies at energies e n e r c h e e z. It's like energy and cheese, and you put it together. It's energy. I'm super uh, cheesy. I I do enjoy the Instagram thing. I, I have a a trivia Tuesday that I do. I love uh, it's brain food, man. You, you gotta go out there and have some fun. So follow me on energies. I'm also the same handle on Facebook, uh, Twitter. And threads now. Yay, threads. Check us out, energies.com. And then, and I should be uh, rolling out on Amazon in the coming month here, too. So, uh, obviously, please support Grocer because that's how we can keep on producing this product. But if you don't have it at your grocers at the time being, uh, yeah, check it out on Amazon or online, energies.com. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bruce. Well, perfect. Yeah. Thanks again, Bruce. Really appreciate your time and having you, you know, showcase your story with us today on the podcast. Cheers. No, thanks a lot, guys.